As we continue to look at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, we're looking today at the John 20 passage, which is normally the one read on Easter. But I think reading it a couple weeks, three weeks after Easter, gives us a different perspective that I think is very valuable. So I'm glad that it happens that this is our passage for this morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the, disciple went back, the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. When we look at this passage on Easter Sunday morning, we are so overwhelmed by the victory of the day, the exaltation of the day. We have extra, extra energetic songs. And around here, that's saying something. We have extra musicians. We have a lot of extra people out where you are. It is an exultant day. It is an energetic day. And we read this passage with the lens, through the lens of victory. But today, I want us to look at it through another lens, a lens covered with tears, because that's the lens through which Mary Magdalene saw everything that happened this morning. She was crying at that tomb. She saw that it was empty. But her mind didn't go immediately to what ours goes to, that the tomb is empty and Jesus has won the victory over sin and death. Her mind is, what happened? I mean, you can't blame her much. It's not very usual to see someone risen from the dead. 
So her assumption, after having seen Jesus' body, clearly dead. She was one of those people that was at the cross watching as he breathed his last. And just to make sure, the soldiers pierced his side with a sword. She knew he was dead. So her first assumption, of course, was that there is no body. It is a dead body. Dead people don't do anything for themselves. They don't get up and walk. So therefore, someone stole this body. And in tears, she's desperately trying to find where Jesus is, where his body has been taken. Now, I want to dispel maybe some ideas that some have about Mary Magdalene. Uh, the, the church history has not been uh, super kind to her in that um, it was, it's said that she was a prostitute before she came to Christ. Well, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us that. But we do know that her life was very difficult. We do know that her life was rather tragic, in fact, because she, when she met Jesus, had, he expelled seven demons from her. So her life was hard. But Jesus brought hope to her life. Jesus brought a whole new meaning and purpose. And now all of that new meaning and that purpose is called into question because she has seen him die. And with him, all her hopes and her promise of a new life have died as well. I think for many of us, we day by day choose, or week by week, choose to follow Jesus, and there are times we have to re-choose to get ourselves back on track. Mary followed Jesus, I think, out of desperation. He was her only hope, her only source of any positive in her life. So when she is standing at this tomb, she has nowhere else to go, no, no one else to follow, no one else to go to, to stand beside her through her life. Jesus was it. Now, if you look at some of the stories that have been written about Mary and Jesus, like um, that Da Vinci Code says that they were married, you know, fiction is fiction. Keep that in mind. This was not the case. And even Jesus Christ Superstar, she says, I don't know how to love him. And sometimes people think, oh, that means that she's in love with him. There's a romanticized notion. And I think our culture tends to romanticize nearly everything because that's what most people in our culture put their ultimate hope in, is the concept of romantic love. And yet, I don't think that's where Mary was with Jesus. She had a deep love for him, but I don't think it was romanticized. I think it was just right. She loved him because of who he was, because of the hope that his existence gave to her, and that hope comes from his being the Son of God. But now that hope appears to be gone. Bobby Knight, the winning coach of the Indiana Hoosiers, wrote a book about five years ago um, called, I have it here, The Power 
of negative thinking, as opposed to Norman Vincent Peale's The Power of Positive Thinking. And in this book, he wrote, people who sit around and say, well, I hope things get better, I wish things were different, are fools. Because unless you do something to make things better, you're just wishfully thinking and wishfully thinking your life away. He says, unless you do something, your wishes are silly. Now, I am not lifting up Bobby Knight as a, a great theologian or someone to follow uh, as, as far as behavior patterns, or I would, I would pick up the chair and throw it at you, but I, I'm not going to do that. Um, but in that, I think he has a point. And for Mary to put her hopes on wishes would have been a very foolish thing to do. But Mary had put her hopes on someone who could do something about it, or so she had thought. And then she finds that this one that gave her so much hope is gone. Until, through her tears, she sees him. She doesn't recognize him. And last week we went through maybe some of the reasons she wouldn't have recognized him. It was dark when she first came to the tomb, but some time has passed, so it's probably not that dark. We could say she was looking away, but it says she turned toward him, so she was looking at him. Uh, but, of course, the idea that people don't rise from the dead probably clouded her thinking a bit and not assuming that she would see Jesus alive again. And also, um, we read in 1 Corinthians that our resurrection bodies will be different from the bodies we have now. And I don't know how they'll be different. I like to think about it. I like to think of if you can go through walls, can you teleport without a teleporter? You know, just say, oh, Paris for lunch. <laughs> I don't know. Um, other theologians have said, um, we have so many senses now. We can see and hear and feel and smell and taste. Are there more senses to be had with our new resurrection bodies? I don't know. But I know it will be glorious but they will be glorious. And Mary seeing Jesus may not have recognized him because he had changed a bit. But whatever the case, the beautiful thing in this and the beautiful thing that John picks up on in writing this is that it was his voice. It was his voice that she recognized, not just saying anything, but saying her name. Jesus is calling your name. And I don't know if you've come here today through a veil of tears or a sense of everything's fine. But whatever your state in coming here this morning, Jesus is calling your name. And when Jesus calls your name, you know that everything will be all right. 
Devin and I get so frustrated on the TV shows when they come into a, an emergency situation and someone's near the brink of death and the EMT or whomever says, oh, everything's going to be fine. We're like, what? Maybe because you're on TV, but in normal life, if you have a situation like that, it's not necessarily assured that everything's going to be fine. And we know that as we face various situations in life, they may not turn out as we hope. But when Jesus says everything will be fine, we can believe it. Because Jesus did win the victory over sin and over death. And Jesus does promise us a new heaven and a new earth and resurrection bodies that will no longer be subject to death and decay, a new life that will no longer carry with it the hopelessness that often accompanies so much of our experience in this world, the grief that so many people carry through this world. Easter happens where death is. If there were no death, there would need be no Easter. So when we face Easter with grief, or as many face Mother's Day with grief, Easter brings life. Easter brings hope. Easter promises a whole new life where we will not be measured by the same measures that we are measured in this life and where all of us will be valued and glorified and enjoy the presence of God and of each other forever. And notice I said enjoy the presence of each other forever. All those relationships that seem so eternally broken now, Christ mends them. And on Mother's Day, I think it is interesting that it was a woman who carried the message. The first one to get the message of the resurrection was Mary Magdalene. And this is not like the Queen of Sheba or somebody like that. This is a woman who didn't have much of a life, didn't have much hope, didn't have much of anything, and she's the one that Jesus chooses to go to tell the others. And I, I have to wonder, in that garden where she gets this news, if Jesus wasn't trying to help us see another garden in which another woman heard another message that was a lie and believed it, when Eve succumbed to the lies of the enemy and then told Adam, and Adam succumbed to the lies of the enemy, and the whole of humanity was broken. Jesus tells a woman the truth, and she tells the others who were followers of Jesus, and then they tell through your voice, the rest of humanity, and hope comes alive, and truth is restored, and life begins again.
Eden brought decay and death. This garden brings victory over death. And I want to close using the story of Marianne Bird. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Not someone who's very famous, but Marianne Bird was born with a cleft palate and with feet that didn't go in the right direction. So she walked awkwardly and she looked different from the other kids as she was growing up and the other kids, of course, back in the day when kids were mean to each other, (laughs) would make fun of her. Did you cut your lip? Why do you walk like a duck? Quack, quack. Until one day, Marianne was in school, and another dreaded day for her, the annual hearing test, when all the kids went forward and their teacher, it was a while ago, uh, the hearing test was a little less sophisticated than what we do now, but the teacher would whisper in their ear, whisper something in their ear, and they were told to say back what the teacher said. And Mary Ann Bird's teacher, Miss Leonard. Oh, this, did I tell you that she was deaf in one ear? That was part of the problem. She didn't like going forward because along with her cleft palate and her bad feet, she was deaf in one ear. So she turned her good ear toward Miss Leonard first. And the words that Miss Leonard spoke into her ear changed her life. Miss Leonard said, I wish you were my little girl. And from that day on, Mary Ann had a whole different perspective on her life and its value. She became a teacher. And she spoke into other children's lives like Miss Leonard had spoken into hers. Jesus whispered Mary's name, Mary. And she heard him and she understood that hope was alive. Jesus whispers your name. And I pray that you stop, listen, and understand that hope is alive. And he doesn't just whisper, hey, everybody. He whispers your name because he wants to tell you, I'm glad that you're mine. And because we know that, just like Mary Ann Bird, shouldn't we also tell others that Jesus wants to call them his own as well? Let us pray. We are grateful, Lord God, that Easter can be experienced not just as the exultant day that it was a few weeks ago, but Easter can be experienced by us the way it was experienced by those who experienced that first Easter, sometimes through a veil of tears, sometimes with lots of questions, with hope that seems to be gone. And when we experience it that way, we can hear your whisper of our name. 
And though we may not get to the exultant place right away, hope is restored. And we cling to that hope as we cling to you as the one who offers us glory, the one who offers us new life, a redefinition of who we are as beloved daughters and sons of our loving God. And Lord, I pray on this Mother's Day for mothers and grandmothers that, like my own mother and grandmother, would be faithful in guiding children to know and love Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help mothers feel honored today. And even as I pray that prayer, I pray that you would be with those for whom Mother's Day is a very difficult day, seen only through a veil of tears. Those whose mothers have recently or maybe even a long time ago died and are still missed. Those who dreamt of becoming mothers and that dream never came to fruition in this life. Those mothers in our midst who have an estranged relationship with their children and those mothers who have been predeceased by their children. And as we celebrate this day, we also acknowledge that it is a day of tears. So we lift up to you all those who struggle and all those who rejoice and pray that you would be with each one. Lord God, we thank you that you have called your church to declare your truth, hope based not in any of the circumstances of this life, but based in your promise of life forevermore. Value based not in any of the ways that we value others or ourselves in this life, but based in your indescribable, unfathomable love for each one of us. And help us, Lord God, as those who have been claimed and loved by you to proclaim that message to a world that is in great need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.